Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of We'll Never Be Royal. It's just Kristen here today. I have a special guest with us, Elena Kate Pettit, and she is the author of a new book that just came out, English Etiquette, The Motivation Behind the Manners. And I've been friends with her for a few years um, through social media, and I'm really excited about this book. I just read it this week to kind of brush up on my own etiquette and English lifestyle tips. And I'm really excited to have her here today. So welcome. Hi, Kristen. It's lovely to be on your podcast. Thank you for joining us. That's all right. So my first question for you is, were you always interested in etiquette? And what kind of got you started in being an enthusiast of English etiquette? Oh, gosh. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to go back here because... Do you know what? I think, you know, when you speak about people and they say they are born to do something or, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just a, a passion they were born with. I think I've been collecting etiquette books since I was about 12 years old, oh, wow. um, which is a bit of a curious kind of hobby for, say, you know, a 12 year old. But there was something <laughs> about it that really captured my imagination. I think it was when you're that young, it's very hard to find your way in the world you've you know you've been a child and you've been very sheltered and then all of a sudden you're kind of out in the big wide world and people aren't very kind to you sometimes yeah and um there was no there was no kind of resources for me at the time to figure out how to get on with people so um the internet seemed a bit archaic back then but I still managed to find them um I would pick up books by Debrett's and um, mm-hmm. some of the American books on etiquette, and I literally just devoured them. Um, I think it also kind of played into my fascination with the royal family as well, because there are you know rules for living in there that aren't for your everyday lifestyle, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's where it all really started, and it, it never really went away at all it's just been a lifelong fascination I'm, I'm not trained in terms of having gone to you know um, go to these protocol schools to uh-huh. learn how to train in etiquette but I think you'll you'll note from having read the book that I'm less about the details of silver service and more about like it says the motivation behind the manners why we you know behave in ways that we do and the way that we treat other people and also how we relate to the world Yes, that's what I like a lot about the book. Um, And, you know, the book talks a lot about how to live an English lifestyle. And one thing you said that I really liked was how living a genteel English lifestyle is a choice one makes for oneself, regardless of where you might live. So we have a lot of listeners who live in America or Australia, um, other countries. So what are a few tips you can give them to incorporate a more, you know, ladylike English lifestyle into their daily routines when they might not live anywhere near England? <laughs> well, I don't think it matters about where you live in the world, and it certainly doesn't matter to a lot of people in England, I might add. Um, <laughs> well, a few tips. Firstly, read. Not just etiquette books, but I do think that Um, educating yourself on things that aren't just pop culture you know we are constantly on our phones on on, you know watching tv watching the latest reality shows and that only gives us kind of a a worldview that's very now and very Mm -hmm. kind of modern culture if you want to live a refined life I think you need to kind of immerse yourself in the classics so that includes uh, you know literature art, classical music, ballet, there's so much beauty in those things. And I think when you do that, what it does is it kind of 
removes you from what's going on right now, and that includes the stresses of life, that means you know, world news and, and all of the bad negative media that kind of comes into your into your energy, as it were, mm -hmm. and it makes things a bit more timeless. And I do think that that's what, when I talk about um, the English uh, being the ones that are well-mannered and have good etiquette and things, they are somewhat timeless. If you look at people like, uh, I mean, obviously the Queen is a great example, but let's, let's say if we take the Duchess of Cambridge, for example, mm -hmm. she came from a typically middle-class background. She was obviously very well-educated and have, had a loving, supporting family around her, but she then had to shoehorn herself, or well, not shoehorn herself, I'm sure they probably <laughs> shoehorned her, but, you know, shoe, shoehorned her into the firm, um, and she had to all of a sudden step in line and learn the way things were done. The things yeah. that you said, the things that you didn't say, but also with that, she had to become rather timeless. And I think that the key to that is just making a choice for yourself to step away from modern culture. We can enjoy all the things, you know, we can enjoy the fashion and we can enjoy the music or some of it. Um, <laughs> you know, we can do that. We can live in this modern world, but it's very much a mindset and it's that choice that you make for yourself and then applying that to daily things. So it might be the way that you dress or the foods that you choose to eat, um, the way that you relate to your neighbours, the mindset you have when you go to work, to be thankful for your job, the fact that it provides you your lifestyle. And then when you make choices with your finances, for example, you choose the best. And it's not coming from a place of snobbery, it's just coming from a place of, I have the power within me to choose the best. Do, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree with that. And you know, we've talked a lot, um, and this kind of leads into my next question too about fashion on the podcast and being intentional with your shopping versus, Absolutely. you know, I'm buying this because Kate wore it and I have to have it. And you're not actually even, you know, taking a second to make that decision as do would I really wear this? Does yes. this fit into my yes. lifestyle? Um, I think, you know, that can be a problem, particularly with the royal family of people just, you know, snapping things up without a thought as to whether, you know, they really want it or they just want it because someone has it. Yeah. Um, and you give some great advice in the book about, you know, how to build a wardrobe and um, for men and women. So if there are male listeners out there. I don't know that there are, but there might be. Um, there's a great section in the book about um, gentlemen's wardrobe as well. But in particular, you talk a lot about things being timeless and um, able to be reworn, which I think is something the Duchess of Cambridge does really well. Yes, and you she see recycles her. quite a lot, yeah. she? You see her wearing, you know, evening gowns four or five times. Um, and I never, I guess, myself thought of that as being a particularly English thing, but it makes sense when you're talking about it in the book, you know, how people... You know, the true English lady will buy things that she can wear for years to come, not just, yeah. you know, fast fashion and trends um, and trying to focus on building more of, you know, a timeless wardrobe. And there was one thing I'm just going to read it out of the books. I really liked this part that you said. But if you she said, if you want to be truly English, you must forget the very idea of being fashionable and instead aim to be refined in taste, to look timeless and always appropriate. Yeah. And I really liked that advice. Um, so can you share, you know, some of your favorite brands in particular? You shared, um, you know, some tips are in the book for particular wardrobe categories, but I'm just curious where you like to shop. 
oh gosh, well, where I like to shop. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't shop that often. Um, I don't actually shop that often anymore. I did many, many years ago. I think a lot of us were kind of caught up in this consumer culture. And the narrative now is that so many people are kind of getting to grips with the idea of obviously fast fashion not being good for the planet yeah. and things like that. And like you, you mentioned about the Duchess of Cambridge recycling outfits, um, you know, that's not a new thing. The, the new thing is buying an outfit every Friday to go out on Saturday night in, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that came with the rise of, yeah, um, pop culture, say, in kind of like 80s, 90s, perhaps. That's when it became, people had this, um, I don't know, just this drive to have more and more and more. I suppose the mid-80s when the economies were, were brilliant. Sure. Um, but I actually read a book recently by the Duchess of Devonshire. It was a... a um, a memoir of hers and she mentioned that she only bought her clothes at country shows <laughs> because they were incredibly robust meant for living in and meant for her lifestyle which is brilliant and I think a lot of us are doing that these days um, or not paying heed to that these days is actually buying according to our lifestyle so mm -hmm. you know as much as I you know write about etiquette and I love the royals and um, you know all things beautiful and sparkly and regal my daily life is the school run and I come home and I sit at my desk and I write. So, you know, I don't need to necessarily look at, uh, you know, the young royals and what they're wearing and, and covet what mm -hmm. they're wearing because not only would it be a waste of money, but it would look rather silly with me <laughs> sat at my desk. <laughs> I know, I have the same, I know, the same so, problem. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that lifestyle, of course. You know, unfortunately, there's no more princess left to marry and I'm already married, so... <laughs> <laughs> the ship has sailed on that one for me. But so far as the brands that I really like for, you know, daily wear, um, I try and go to, well, I, I really try and go to British brands. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say I don't love American brands. It's just that because they're in a far off land to me, I can't feel and test the quality without making an immediate investment of having sure, shipped yeah. over. So I do remember actually a summer spent in Maine where I went to L.L. Bean and that's they felt fantastic in terms of the quality of their clothing. And oh, that, yeah, they have some, their stuff lasts forever. Like, exactly. I think my husband has a backpack from there that must be, I swear, like 15 or more years old, maybe 20 years old. Yeah, I bought a boat and tote, actually, that was my souvenir. <laughs> it was the one thing I wanted to bring back from Maine, which is funny. But their kind of aesthetic actually really works with my lifestyle. So mm -hmm. um, the brands that translate back in England, there's the House of Brewer, which are a Scottish brand. So they sell a lot of tweed, a lot of corduroy, um, cashmere sweaters, things like that. So, you know, versatile pieces that you can mix and match with. Um, and then there's Jewels, which is a British high street brand, um, and Crew Clothing. And they've all kind of got a bit of a sporting aesthetic about them, but a British sporting aesthetic. So it's kind of mm -hmm. polo and sailing and... Um, yeah, kind of equestrian events, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of things from Jewels. I like their Breton tops with the florals. They yeah. do those really well. They're lovely. And then, of course, there is the creme de la creme, which is Marks and Spencer. You cannot go yeah. with anything from Marks and Spencer, in my opinion. <laughs> I do love Marks and Spencer. I'm going, well, we were just talking before the recording that I'm going to Scotland soon. And um, I'm really excited to go to Marks and Spencer. Because... <laughs> I love going to Marks and Spencer and I love I their food hall. Their Do you know food what? It's hall is amazing. 
it's so funny, it's almost a mecca to me. My, um, I've got very fond memories of my, uh, my great-grandmother. We used to go out every Saturday um, and she used to buy a twin set from Marks and Spencer almost every Saturday. I oh, it. wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. I know. And their clothes are such good quality. Like, they just hold up really well. Um, they really and they're are. not expensive. I know. And they actually design for your body shape, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they design to kind of cover the bits that you don't really want exposed. Yeah, I have my, my favorite leggings, and leggings are such a, like, basic thing, but my favorite leggings are from Marks and Spencer, because I couldn't find in the U.S. navy leggings that were, like, slightly cropped. I couldn't find them anywhere, and when I was in Windsor last year, I found a pair exactly what I wanted in Marks and Spencer. Yeah, and that's the best place to find them as well, isn't it, Windsor? Yeah, totally. <laughs> the royal touch. Yes, I do love <laughs> M&S, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> so, um... Back to etiquette, but what are some of your etiquette pet peeves? Like, what do you oh, think yes. that the majority of people <gasps> probably are doing wrong or just don't think, I guess? Oh, to gosh, do, yeah. Not to do? Uh, well, it's going to get juicy now. Um, <laughs> well, we call them pet hates in England, I think. Um, right, well, I'll talk about one that's very personal to me. <laughs> but the one thing I cannot stand, and actually, I think is having a bit of a re revival in terms of not being acceptable anymore socially uh -huh. acceptable and that's chewing gum i hate chewing gum oh too. my goodness Ugh. it is the worst i mean you do you know it's good etiquette not to chew with your mouth open when you're eating but chewing gum it's just it's almost like those thoughts fl fly out the window as soon as someone puts a stick of gum in their mouth and they're smacking at it oh, it's just <laughs> horrific. And not, not only that it's actually plastic you're chewing on plastic so that's being absorbed and then, you know, yeah. we're obviously fighting plastic pollution at the moment, and that chewing gum will never break down. You know, wherever they people spit it or stick it or, ugh, ugh, just oh, just Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been a gum chewer ever. Like, it's just, yeah, it's not my thing. No, it's not my, um, you know, for emergencies, fine. But, you know, five minutes in privacy and then get rid of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next one, I think, is... Every single Brit will agree with me on this one, and um, it's something that visitors don't quite understand, and that is the idea of personal space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to tell you a very cute story just before we launch into this. Um, my son and I pray every night before he goes to sleep, and um, I think he must have been about three years old. He was in kindergarten, and one night he said... Uh, so I would lead the prayer and I would say to him, so say to God what you're thankful for. And he said, dear God, thank you for personal space. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought, I just thought, well, firstly, you're my son. There is no doubt that you're my son. And oh I just thought, how, how British. <laughs> how British is that? And as you know, we love a queue. We absolutely love to queue. Um, and, you know, even on things like the, the London Underground. I mean, I worked in London for many years and would have to commute on the London Underground into Covent Garden. And even though you could be crammed in like a tin of sardines, there was still this just inherent desire within everybody to almost... You know when you're doing yeah. kind of like Pilates or yoga and they mm -hmm. imagine that string pulling your head and you're kind of trying to make yourself as tall and as, you know, slim yeah. as possible. Uh -huh. Everybody is in there kind of like soldiers trying, yes. to, <laughs> <laughs> trying not to touch anybody at all. So um, I think visitors to England uh, should respect that. <laughs> I know some of us are a bit more embracing and don't mind touching other people or, or, you know, sitting too close to them or 
uh, breathing down their necks in a queue. But I think that, you know, the most basic of etiquette tips, I would say, are chewing gum and, mm -hmm. uh, and standing in a queue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I would also say, so is this strictly for people visiting England or just etiquette in general? Just etiquette in general, because I was going to ask you about people visiting England, but you yeah. can continue about your yeah. general. <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to jump ahead to the visiting, because this is something okay. that I've noticed as well. And this isn't a personal pet hate of mine, because I'm quite a gregarious uh, character, and I'm quite uh, quite known for talking to strangers, which is a bit unusual. Um, <laughs> but I've noticed that a lot of people really don't have time for people who... Uh, I say people, this sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> foreigners, uh, particularly Americans, I'm very, very sorry. It's okay. <laughs> speaking so loudly in a restaurant. Mm, oh yes. my goodness, you can cut the atmosphere with a knife among the Brits when that happens. <laughs> 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 You're very loud. I love it because I'm personally loud too. Um, mm. But there's, I, I think it's just this sense of... Um, you know, like the personal space, we're kind of respecting everybody's experience. You mm -hmm. know, it's not like we'll sit and whisper, but we certainly won't be loud and and be shouting and, and things like that. Oh, um, I'm the person who's embarrassed by Americans in restaurants, and I'm American. Like when I was in Italy one time, any of my friends listening to this will start laughing. We were in Italy with a group of my friends, and we were seated outside at a table, and the table across from us was a group of tourists. They were from Texas, I believe, because we yeah. never heard them talking about it. They were so loud and so obnoxious, and we were, like, humiliated, you know, <laughs> for America on behalf of them. Like, it was... And they just were making really obnoxious requests, and yes. she wanted, like, one, like, one glass of wine, but two glasses to share but she was just saying it really loud as know, if you know they what? could understand her better if she screamed S yeah, in English shouting. even though they were Italian and I'm like he's <laughs> not going to understand you more <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it it's fine to make those requests I mean we all do that it's just you yeah. just do it quietly and especially with complaining um that's something that we do in private as well and I, I think the Brits are very we apologize about complaining which is hilarious <laughs> we apologize <laughs> for other people's mistakes but I just think yes making complaints and things no one else in your vicinity unless it's directly affecting men will not care so they do not care to hear about it so complain quietly yeah no that's a good point like you I think you mentioned that in the book too about like being discreet at a restaurant if you have a complaint because yeah, then people are going to turn around and look and be like what's going on I know. Or what went wrong I know and I, I do think in terms of the service industry they respond better that to that because you know there's a sense of you know the idea the very idea of etiquette is to make everybody feel comfortable in your presence so you know uh, giving someone a, a, a verbal tongue lashing in public is not going to liken them to you or make them want you to want to treat you any better so you know if you if you mm -hmm. uh, approach it with dignity and politeness then you get a much better service out of every every industry and every service you know just be polite it's it's the old adage isn't it treat people how you expect to be treated yes exactly so i mentioned you know i was going to ask you about people coming to england um yeah. so a lot of our listeners are just spread out in other countries but um do you just have a few top tips for etiquette how it might differ in england you mentioned personal space i know when i first moved to london as a college student i really quickly learned about queuing etiquette 
on the tube, like when you're on the escalator, how I have to stand on the right and you walk on the left. Yes. And people, like, we would just be standing there like friends because in America it's not really, like, a thing. I mean, it's maybe kind of like an unwritten thing, but people generally just kind of, like, stand wherever on the escalator. But, like, it is very rigid in London. Like, you stand here and you walk down this side because people are in a hurry sometimes to catch a train so it makes sense I can imagine it was baptism by fire for you oh yes (laughs) they were like move out of the way I was like ah well that's when the Brits will shout yes (laughs) oh goodness okay right well let me think something very British specific obviously queuing you know that's that's something that you're going to have to get to to learn I think with regards to queuing sometimes um if there's no kind of designated poles and strips of fabric like you get in the airports Mm -hmm. you know clearly indicating the way things queue you almost need to approach it with caution and try and catch the eye of whoever's there um the good idea is to kind of just look them in the eye and acknowledge that they were there first um Mm -hmm. Because you could, you might see that their body language, they start to kind of like get a bit tetchy, thinking that you're going to push in. Um, <laughs> and if you're unsure, then ask. You know, there's no there's no harm in saying, "Were you first? Are you waiting?" Uh, you know, and and also, uh, if people are pushing in, and you witness this, and the person who was first isn't kind of standing their ground and actually standing up for themselves, it's quite acceptable to say, "Excuse me, but I believe this gentleman was first. We do yes. that quite quite often, so <laughs> just expect those scenarios to happen, and and uh, you know either to be uh, what's the word, just kind of looked after by your fellow cures, <laughs> yes. or look yeah. out for everyone else. You know, we kind of just have this sense of orderliness, and and we'll mm-hmm. we'll verbalise it. Um, also, I think standing in those situations, there's quite a lot of waiting in England. You know, waiting for the buses, waiting for tubes. Um, and waiting in queues so you're stood there amongst these people that you don't know quite often a brick will comment on the weather um <laughs> and that doesn't mean that they want to talk about the weather to you don't get don't make that mistake it's just <laughs> it's almost our way of acknowledging you and just saying i see you you know uh, i'm here too hello um don't really want to have a conversation with you but it's just an acknowledgement so a response might be something um you know, if they say, oh, gosh, it's hot today, isn't it? Never, ever respond by saying, oh, no, actually, I find it quite chilly. <laughs> Never disagree <laughs> with the weather comment whatsoever. Like, yes, gonna... yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You just say, oh, golly, isn't it? And you can even add a second thing. So, so oh, I, I, oh, I wonder when it will die down. Oh, I'm praying for rain. But that's it. That's the end of the conversation. <laughs> they didn't actually want to open up this whole conversation with you about the weather um and then also i would say this a lot of these are to do with kind of conversing if someone asks how you are even if they know you quite well um you know say if you've come to visit england and you're meeting someone for the second time and you're Mm -hmm. stood at their door and they're greeting you how are you don't launch into how how you are really honestly (laughs) again i mean they don't care Or they, they yeah. do care how you are, but they don't care to hear about it right at that moment. Yeah, good, thanks. <laughs> These are just passing <laughs> phrases. And, I think, and I've seen that happen so much where people have gone, oh, actually, you know, and then you start hearing about their ailments and their terrible journey and oh, no. things like that. That's things for later. Um, so, yeah, those are the things I could think of off the top of my head, unless you wanted to discuss on, <laughs> something on a particular subject. <laughs> 
You know what? The one thing I thought of was in pubs because I mean, I'm used to this, you know, coming frequently, but a lot of times you see tourists and they have no idea what to do in a pub because in America, you know, even if you're in like a pub style restaurant, like you're seated, you have a waiter, waitress, whatever yeah. you order to them, where you order at the counter in most cases, um, your food at a pub and like, I've seen people walk in and they're just like looking around helpless. They have no idea what to do. <laughs> they're like, what? What's going on? Like it's, you have to walk up and like, <laughs> do you know, it's so funny because these are the things I live and breathe every day. So you don't think about things in that sense. Now you're, now you're making me think about it. It must seem so odd. Um, okay, yeah. British pubs, there are different types. The ones in towns will be uh, a lot easier in terms of, uh, socially so you'll just go in go up to the bar um order your drinks and go and find a table or then go and find a table first and one of your party uh leaves to go and you know make the order at the bar never leave your things on a table you know your bags and coats to claim it and then walk away because that's seen as rude um hmm. One of your, you know, it's almost like you have to sit there and defend the table. This time, <laughs> I was here first. Um, country pubs are quite different. Um, it's very much the same concept in terms of going in and, and uh, ordering your drinks and food at the bar and uh, all that kind of stuff. But country pubs, I'm <laughs> just thinking about this because I deal with this as well when you walk in. Quite often mm -hmm. if they're in the village um, and they don't know you when you walk in the door, be prepared to be stared at. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're English, you know, they're just kind of, there's just this mentality. It's so funny. Uh, they, they will just stare at you. And it, but it's only because they're curious as to, you know, where, where you're from and why mm -hmm. you're there of all of the millions of pubs in Great Britain where you stumbled into their quiet little pub in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, oh, or funny. the alternative is, if it's quite busy, is that you can just stand at the bar and drink yeah. or drink at the bar. So, but then again, queuing etiquette also applies there as well in terms of you need to make eye contact with the people either side of you and kind of just do this slight nod of, I know you were here first. It's the <laughs> barman's job to know who was there first. But of course, yeah, it, it, it'll do you good to acknowledge the people waiting alongside you. Yes, true. Yeah, we've had it happen. I just find it, yeah, some, to me as an American, it's sometimes odd because, you know, I've been to a pub um, with our friends who live outside of Oxford and it was like very much a waitress situation like you know we, they, they told you i think to sit down anywhere but you know a waitress came and took your order and everything and i'm like well a lot of times when we go to a pub they expect you to order at the bar and it's like sometimes you don't know i find it confusing i guess as an yeah. american but i think it's like a case-by-case -case basis i guess absolutely and you know what but people will always tell you what to do if you just ask them. If you just find yeah. a friendly, friendly mm -hmm. face and you say, well, what's the go here? Do I order at the bar or do orders be taken at the table? And someone will tell you, you know. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and my last question for you today is, who is your favorite royal in history and why? <gasps> oh, goodness. My favorite royal in history. <sighs> it has to be, I would say, ooh. That's so tough because I love them all. Do you know what? I don't, I don't read much fiction, but when I do, it's Philippa Gregory. I absolutely I love her too. love. I, uh, it, fiction for me has to be based on historical fact. So the Philippa mm -hmm. Gregory series of books are just fantastic. Um, I've, I wouldn't say she's the favourite, but I've got a bit of an affinity with Anne Boleyn for some reason. Yes, um, It's almost like she was the original 
you know, maybe the original kind of Wallace Simpson in a way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, totally. Henry didn't abdicate, but it absolutely threw things. Uh, it changed the course of British history. Um, her marriage to to Henry. Oh, um, definitely. But aside from that, in terms of uh, a royal I admire, it would have to be Victoria. I just mm-hmm. think coming to the throne at such a young age, where nobody kind of believed knew, um, you know, to have all these dusty old men essentially kind of you know trying to work against you and then you just build this incredible empire with your husband you know the amount of children they had led the country through so much kind of industrial revolution um and and reigning for so long especially after having so many children I mean how did she do it yeah I have no so many kids I know (laughs) have you been watching the latest um series yeah, so we actually got it here in America first, which I find very oh, bizarre. Really? So I think it ended like in January or something like that, January, February. Um, yeah, so it's been over for a little while here, but it was a really good series. It's fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely so good. Fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait for the next one to come on. And The Crown, of course. Oh, um, gosh, don't get me started on The Crown. I'm in love with that. I'm not sure I'm, not sure I'm happy about the aging, though. I quite liked the snapshot of them in the 50s, you know, because yeah. we don't. You know, obviously, kind of our modern history, I can remember back as, you know, the late 80s and things. I've only known her as an old lady, bless her heart. But to know, you know <laughs> see her as a younger lady, I think, and, and their, you know, their romance and having children and the things that she dealt with back then, I just, oh, it's fascinating. Love it. Yeah, it's so interesting, I think. I well, I posted a little bit on my um, Instagram, but I had just been to this exhibit. Jules and I went, um, waving hi to Jules who's not here today, but um, we actually got to meet up and we talked about this in our last episode um, to the Costuming the Crown exhibit, which was really exciting um, just to see the costumes in person. And they're so detailed and so beautiful. Um, They just put so much work, I think, into getting everything right on that series. Um, So it was nice to see that like incorporated into the And you know, this is why you guys in America are so lucky because you get these exhibits. (laughs) Yes. You know, you get the Downton Abbey exhibits and mm-hmm. the Titanic and the crowd. We, we hardly see them over here. You know, it's almost know, like... That's they... funny that they don't do that. I know, I know. It's obviously, we're a great export. <laughs> <laughs> I know, they're like, well, everybody, Americans are obsessed with the royals, so we're going to have the exhibit here. Yeah, do you know what? This is another thing that um, kind of inspired me to write English Etiquette, was that after my first book, Ladies Like Us, I had so many people kind of... Uh, you know message me all the time asking questions about England and etiquette and the way we lived our lives and things like that um and people are fascinated so mm-hmm. it really made me kind of look at it from a different light and appreciate what's lovely about England you know yeah that's true yeah. I think Americans as a whole and you know Australians I think too um are also the same but very interested in you know just English lifestyle if you know someone here hears an English accent they're obsessed like oh my god I love your accent and I hear English accents all the time but um even as I'm chatting to you today I'm like I just love her accent oh really well have you have you ever heard a regional accent that you can't understand yes I have (laughs) even I can't understand them sometimes I'm a little bit nervous, I'm not going to lie, to go to Scotland because I'm afraid that I'm going to not be able to understand people sometimes. You're not going to um, understand a Scottish? <laughs> right? I'm sure you'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine, but I've heard some very... Have, there was a 
um, Saturday Night Live skit. I don't know if you saw it. It kind of went around the internet about um, someone with a very heavy Scottish accent. They were um, like a flight controller, I think. Yeah. And the or a pilot, and the people at the airport were trying to understand him, and they just couldn't understand him. <laughs> it was really funny, but I was like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't encounter this. <laughs> Do you know what? Just honestly just look at them and blink a few times and say sorry could you repeat that yeah <laughs> and they will do but you know they'll eventually get that you're not understanding them and then they'll slow it down hopefully they won't start shouting at you though yeah <laughs> hoping that, that if they just talk louder then you'll understand <laughs> uh, well it's been so nice to have you today i really enjoyed our chat and yeah, I did too. um there was a giveaway that you're doing soon so i just wanted you to talk about that real quick yes well uh, to celebrate the launch of uh, english etiquette i'm going to be doing a giveaway um i'm going to do something very british themed uh, for those people that do follow me on Instagram, you might have noted, I think last week I was asking people what their favourite tea was, um, and that was market research. So I won't give away the details just yet of what will be inside the box. However, it will include a book and it will include tea uh, and some various other paraphernalia, very British paraphernalia to go alongside it. Um, and the only way that you can enter is um, if you go to my website, which is the darling academy.com um, and scroll to the bottom there's a little button to, sub to subscribe to my newsletter um, I don't bombard people with with mail I just send out a snapshot of the articles I've written every month on British lifestyle and uh, etiquette and British products and things it's great for anglophiles um, so yes if, if any of your uh, listeners wanted to enter that to be in with a chance of winning it then that's the way to do it and it would be a pleasure to have them Awesome. And can you just tell everyone real quick uh, where to find you on social media too? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you can read a little bit more, more about me and my story and, of course, um, the synopsis of both my books on my website, which is thedarlingacademy.com. Um, so far as social media, I have a page on Facebook, uh, which is also called The Darling Academy. And then I mainly spend my time on Instagram, actually, because I love looking at people's pictures and seeing, you know, where everybody's from and being a bit nosy. Um, so <laughs> you can find me on there as well, which is at the Darling Academy. Perfect. So thank you so much. And I will chat with you soon, of course. And we'll be back with another episode talking probably about my adventures in Scotland um, soon. So we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.